Thank you for joining us on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. And here's your host, Chris Sabalero. Well, once again, it's time for the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. I got to tell you, it's really great when we have the opportunity to come and visit and share some of our leadership knowledge. You know, today, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm just so excited. I mean, one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite guests is here once again. And yes, he did pay me $7.32 to say that. Dr. Charles Chad Weinstein. Chad, come on in here and let's uh, get you going. And we're going to talk about ethical leadership. And we're on the uh, kick of uh, continuing our journey on talking about the virtues framework. And uh, before we get started, how things going with you, sir? Chris, things are going great. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you. Like I said in the earlier shows, you are uh, my Alec Baldwin uh, Saturday Night Live host who has done the most shows. You have done the most shows on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. And, you know, I might have to bring you on as my uh, Ed McMahon. I would I would be honored. Let me practice. Ho, 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 ho. That's really good. How really good, Chad. Awesome, awesome. Good. So for the people that haven't listened to the other shows, Chad, you're our resident expert when it comes to ethical leadership. And over the past uh, three shows, you've kind of broken down for us the virtue framework for ethical leadership. And before we get started, maybe you could just touch a little bit on that, on the virtues framework of ethical leadership. We're going to go into today's topic, which we're going to talk about the virtue of clarity. But before we go there, maybe just give people a little bit uh, overview of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. As you recall, virtues are qualities that we build in ourselves like muscles over time in order to achieve a particular purpose. And the virtues that comprise ethical leadership include courage, competence, creativity, clarity, and service. And so by thinking about those qualities as we live our lives, do our work, lead in our work, we have a framework for learning from our experiences, for developing over time, for getting better, for building teams with people who have complementary qualities, complementary strengths in these virtues. They're a way to organize our personal development as leaders. And I think what's really great is, you know, actually, you know, this is going to be our fourth show as we discuss clarity now. And if uh, the listeners out there, if you haven't heard the first three, just go back to the archives and check them out. And it's interesting now, Chad, to see the growth of ethical leadership based on these virtues uh, as we start to, you know, kind of get come to the end. We're going to talk about clarity. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you back soon. We'll talk about service. But I guess I want to ask you first is you, something you said to me even before we got started uh, recording today was clarity is the is the hardest virtue to talk about. Why is that? It's a great question. First of all, let's talk about what clarity is. At its essence, clarity is our ability to make sense of things. It's our ability to separate the signal from the noise. It's our ability to understand what's really going on, which guides us into action as leaders. Clarity includes the features of vision, discernment, and judgment. So the leader with clarity can see what's happening in the future they have a vision for what should be, and they can communicate that vision clearly enough to help others bring it about. The leader with clarity also can discern whether I'm looking at a trend or a blip. 
the leader with clarity can look at a balance sheet and understand how's this business doing. A leader with clarity can also look at a colleague or a team member and decide whether they're having a bad day or whether they're having a bad career. So clarity drives us to make sense of things. And that's inherently harder to describe than some of the other virtues we've talked about, competence and courage and creativity. You know, so when you think about that, then I guess I I, I may be a little confused here, Chad, and this may be where you kind of clear it up for me. Isn't clarity really part of other virtues? I mean, it especially seems like part of competence, I would think. Why does it stand alone? First, you've pointed out one of the core features of the virtue set, and that is the virtues are inherently interrelated. We can't just activate one virtue successfully. For example, I don't want my brain surgeon to have more courage than she has competence. At the same time, she needs the courage to make the call in the procedure and to rely on her competence to be creative when necessary and so forth. So the virtues are inherently interrelated. And indeed, many of the features of clarity show up in parts of the other virtues. As you said, competence includes wisdom. Clarity includes judgment. So why aren't those two the same? Well, our model calls out clarity because it's a capacity we can develop separately, and it's a capacity that touches on so many other aspects of leadership. As we said, like setting vision, like managing on a day-to-day basis, even like making the tough calls when we need to make the tough calls. The other beauty of having clarity separate is it provides us with a reminder to keep getting sharper, and in particular, to pay attention to our experience so that we can turn it into wisdom and we can use that wisdom to drive our decision-making. That's the essence of judgment. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think that one of the things that we've learned during this journey, Chad, is that all these virtues really kind of play off each other. We kind of see how they're interrelated. And it's really interesting, you know, to kind of think about this as a, you know, as a garden, but the plant in this garden kind of helps each other grow. So I think that that's really interesting. You know, so I want to ask you one of the features of clarity. I mean, it has to be vision. What is distinctive about clarity of vision? Clarity of vision is our ability to imagine what could be in a way that is specific enough and compelling enough that we can engage others in making that vision a reality. Many people have said to me over the years, I'm a visionary, and I'm always a little nervous when I hear that because very often those people are daydreamers. The difference between a vision and a daydream is actionability, among other things. We can daydream about all kinds of things, but the leader with vision exhibits the capacity to decide and discern, is this where we should be going and why? And if so, how do we engage others in making that vision a reality? So vision is a very active component of this virtue of clarity, and clarity is what gives our imagination its legs, if you will. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. And one of the things that you just did there is you cited discernment as a feature. Can you know? Can you give me an example of that feature in action? I mean, I, I think as we start to think about the clarity of vision, and now you know you mentioned discernment. How does how does that all fit together? 
Discernment is our ability to make sense of the current state. Vision is the future or what could be. Discernment is concerned with what is. And so the feature of discernment shows up in our capacity to use analytics to make decisions. Discernment allows us to understand how should we be measuring our progress and once those measures in, are in place, how are we doing? Discernment also helps us to decide which tools should we pull out of our kit as leaders. What are we really looking at here? What's trivial feature and what's the essence of things? Is this a trend? Is it a blip? Those are all questions of discernment. You know, it's really interesting when you say that because, you know, when you think about the tools that are in your toolbox, you know, we just kind of think about which one do I need to pull out. But this is really a process uh, of what's inside us, you know, as we think about uh, ethical leadership, as we think about, you know, these components, these framework virtues. You know, so one of the things that I want to, you know, kind of touch on, there's moral clarity as well. So you, you talk about aligning your personal values with your organizational values. And, you know, I'll tell you a quick story before I, I, I ask you this next question question. Recently, uh, I was uh, bringing a car back to a, you know, a rental car agency and the gas gauge moved just a little bit off full. You know, you're supposed to bring your car back full. So it was just a little bit full. Well, the guy said to me, he goes, you know, I'm going to have to charge you for a full tank of gas. I said, well, what do you mean? The tank is full. He goes, well, it doesn't show full. I said, do you feel good about doing that to your customers? And he says, well, you know, that's just the rules here. I said, but personally, how do you feel about charging somebody for a full tank of gas in this situation? And he goes, well, I really don't like it. He goes, but I really need the job. So when we talk about personal values versus organizational values, you know, what would you tell our listeners about that process? I think the example you gave is terrific. And that attendant had a lot of self-awareness. He was right. He, he gave you a very honest, very thoughtful answer, actually. Look, I don't like doing this either. It doesn't seem right to me, but those are my personal values, and I'm acting as an agent of this company, and this company plays by these rules. Admittedly, the rules are advantageous to the company, but the company plays by these rules, and I have to be an agent of that company. So he really gave you a pretty insightful answer. In fact, our personal values are always separate from our organizational values, and they should be. I own my company, as do you, and even, they, even at that, our personal values are different from our organization's values. The reason for that is this. Organizational values exist to help define and support the identity and the mission of their organization. If you're a leader in an organization and your organization espouses a set of values, that's going to cost you. And so the way you recoup that investment is by making sure those values make you better at being who you are and better at what you do as a company. Our personal values, by contrast, guide us in our lives. That's well and good. My company has values that are separate from my personal values. Now, when those values are in conflict, that's when we have a deep problem. And that worker may not have such a conflict. He may say, I understand and respect the value of following the rules narrowly because that's how this company does business in accordance with its contract. I don't like it, but it doesn't cause me stress. There are some workers who would say, I can't work for a company that treats its customers narrowly, transactionally, 
and in a sense is willing to take advantage of its customers in the name of upholding the narrow terms of an agreement. There's nothing wrong with either of those points of view. The stress comes in when a person with one point of view works for a company that espouses a different point of view. And I've seen it the other way too. I've seen employees who were very focused on narrow compliance work for supervisors who took a broader view of discretion. And you know what? That was extremely stressful for those employees. So stressful that in fact they had to make a change. So clarity of morality is about understanding who you are, where your values are, where they bend, where they don't bend, and understanding the same about their about your organization. Yeah, and I think that one of the things now that that leads to is when you have that clarity of your personal values and your organizational values, that's where the virtue of courage comes in, that you're able now to put that in place to say, wait a minute, something just isn't right here. That's exactly right. I worked with an accounting executive who said before she got promoted to a managerial position where her signature really mattered on an audit, before she was leading an audit team, her mentor said to her, you need to have three months salary in the bank so that if someone says to you, sign this or else, you can comfortably choose or else if it isn't the right thing to sign. That's a way to bolster moral well, a way to bolster moral courage and to understand with moral clarity the nature of that job. You know, I can see now why you're saying that this is one of the hardest virtues to kind of, you know, uh, wrap your head around. But many of the other virtues seem easier to observe, like creativity or competence, as, as we kind of just talked about. We can easily have, you know, our heroes and mentors who are really created or really gifted. I guess my question to you is, how can you observe that someone is really clear? Well, a few ways. We've pointed to some already. The person of moral clarity makes sound decisions in accordance with values and can articulate how the values guide those decisions. Sometimes our best clergy people, our best personal teachers and mentors are people who aren't just deeply morally motivated, but also have the gift and the capacity to explain how their moral values are guiding their actions. Because let's face it, it isn't always obvious. So one set of, of observable features regarding clarity is someone who can act intentionally and clearly in accordance with their values. Another capacity are the people who are great analysts. I worked with a consultant for years who could always see things from a slightly different perspective that brought clarity to the situation. He was someone you always wanted in the room when we were making decisions and plans because he would ask the key question that brought to our attention something we had completely neglected. So that's another category of sort of clarity hero is someone who can see things a little bit differently, a distinctive point of view that's really, really valuable. And frankly, the people who I also admire are the true visionaries, the people who can imagine a different world and who can describe that world to the rest of us. I think about explorers in times of old and even to some degree today who go off into the unknown and then come back and share that experience with the rest of us. I think the work of Lewis and Clark was a work of magnificent clarity. There was this untold mass of land, gigantic tract of land. 
And these guys, this team went off and came back and articulated what they had seen and why it was valuable in a way that captured the imagination and that organized the resources of the young nation. You know, I think that one of the things that we think about when it comes to leadership is I think it's a form of exploration as well. Because as, as we set off down this path of, of using all these tools, we don't know what we're going to find. And we don't know what's going to happen, you know, when we do those things. And, you know, hopefully we know what we want. And I'm sure that, you know, all these explorers knew what they wanted to find. Uh, so it's really interesting that you put it in that context. So what are some of the causes of our clarity being compromised? And if we were to think about it, what should we look out for to ensure that uh, they're not compromised? Well, I'm going to quote you to you. (laughs) In your book, you articulate the dangers of being overly emotional. And you talk about the importance of passion and the dangers of letting our emotions carry us away. That's one classic example of how our clarity can be compromised. Another example is when we are operating in an area where we don't have much experience and expertise. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, it's a wonderful book that talks about the phenomenon of how sometimes we are absolutely intuitive and absolutely accurate. And other times we have to really pause and do our homework. And he points out that in many areas where we have lots of experience, our immediate insights, our blink insights are very, very reliable. And that's important to know. But one of the dangers is when we have those blink insights where we don't know what we're talking about, where we don't have deep experience, that's when we can be led very much astray. I mean, in working with a doctor, he or she may explain something to me that just doesn't seem intuitively true. And I may be curious about that, but I also have to be humble that I'm not a doctor. I haven't seen 15 cases of this. And so my intuitions are not to be trusted. It may not be wise to utterly ignore them, but it certainly isn't wise to trust them without additional input. So another way our clarity can lead us astray is when we think we're sure of something in an area where we don't quite have the experience to back up our intuitions. That's very interesting stuff. So I I guess the one of the questions I want to know is, and I'm sure the people who are listening is, you know, how do we develop our clarity over time? I mean, what's what's the plan for making that happen? First of all, hang out with wise, clear people. Know who's around, understand people's expertise and rely on that expertise to augment your own. The first lesson is surround yourself with smart, clear people, and that builds your clarity over time. Second, reflect on your experiences. In public safety, we see this in the formal after-action review, where people get together and have a structured conversation where people ask, what did we set out to do? What did we expect to happen? What did we do? What did happen? How do we explain the difference? And what do we learn from it? That learning can also take place informally, just in a huddle afterward. You see firefighters hanging out on the tailboard of the fire truck afterwards talking about what went right, what went wrong, what we can learn about it. So those experiences and the capacity to reflect on those experiences really build clarity And I hate to say it, but our mistakes are great uh, assets for building clarity, too. 
It's no fun to make a mistake, but maybe the silver lining to our fallibility is if we are honest with ourselves and if we are morally courageous, we have the opportunity to develop clarity through learning from our mistakes. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that you put all this stuff together. You talk about foresight, you talk about conceptualization, you talk about reflection. And when we think about all these things, I mean, we really have to spend those times. You know, you, you, you talked about, uh, you know, that sometimes we allow our emotions to dictate our actions. And really, how we get our handle on that is to make sure that we have good reflection. And it seems that when it comes to understanding clarity, you know, you have good foresight, you have good conceptualization, and then you really reflect on those things to say, hey, what went right, what went wrong? And uh, it, it's really interesting how you kind of wrapped all that up. Thank you. And to roll it all back, the virtue framework as a whole is a framework for making sense of our experiences and for learning from our mistakes. When I mess up, I ask myself the question, did I lack clarity? Was there critical data that I ignored? Did I lack competence? Did I not know what I was doing? Or did I lack some of the skills that I needed to undertake this? Or maybe I was being selfish. That's a lack of service, which we'll talk about in our next session. The virtue framework provides me with a way of understanding my experiences so that I can hang them on something that I can develop. You know, Chad, so I guess I just want to finish up with this. I mean, because you said we've got one more virtue in this series, and we're going to talk about service in the next show. But so far, we've discussed courage. We've discussed competence. We've discussed creativity and now clarity. And after each show, I've kind of asked you the question of how, how do we develop those virtues over time? So knowing what we know now of courage, competence, creativity, and clarity can we? Can you kind of put those all? And I guess they're the the four C's of of ethical leadership. Let's call them that. But can sure. you kind of put that into a a recipe to say how can we make all those virtues, put them in the crock pot, and make them simmer together and get all those you know get all those tools out of those virtues? Is there a way that we can kind of start that process now before we learn about service? Absolutely. All those virtues are in our crock pot. And it's less important that we pick out a particular ingredient than that we pay attention to how this whole stew is coming together. And so the virtues provide this ingredient list and this method for tasting the stew, adjusting over time. Some of the ways that we develop our, ourselves as ethical leaders really involve the commitment to ethical leadership, which is the commitment to empower others to make a positive difference in the world. Do we have a vision for what improvements look like? Are we willing to do things differently? Here's creativity. Are we willing to do things differently when that's the right thing in order to bring about a better outcome? Are we bringing a full set of skills to bear? Are we paying attention to what we're experiencing and discerning and using judgment as appropriate? That's competence. And when our better judgment leads us to the difficult conclusion that we got to do something hard or scary, are we willing to do what's hard or scary to bring it about? And that's courage. So in any moment, we could look at the different features of ethical leadership and the virtues of ethical leadership. The crock pot is sort of bubbling away and we stick a spoon in and say, yeah, you know, at this moment I can taste a little courage. I can taste a little clarity. 
I don't necessarily need to be so creative. Maybe next time I dip that, dip that spoon in, you know what? It's time to be creative and change things up. And so I draw on a different set of ingredients in that stew. It's not the best metaphor we've ever come up with, but I think it works. Yeah, now uh, I think it's time for lunch. So, I mean, I think it's really, uh, <laughs> you've really kind of put us on the spot. But, Chad, I got to tell you, I mean, as we've now finished with this fourth episode, it really kind of ties us together now as to what ethical leadership and the components of ethical leadership really are. I'm very excited and looking forward to the, the fifth uh, episode where we talk about service. And then maybe I think we need to kind of do a show after that and really kind of put all these virtues together and, and you know, kind of outline a, 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 a go forward plan of how now to act with ethical leadership. That sounds fabulous. And, and if I may say, I'm really delighted to be a part of your podcast because the overall arc of your podcast mixes the more theoretical stuff with the very practical stuff. It mixes operations and sales. It looks at sales from different perspectives. I mean, you've taken, you have quite a collection. You've got quite a crockpot going here with this uh, podcast as well. And so it's really a pleasure to be a part of this sort of ongoing journey with your other listeners because i count myself among your listeners and to look at what what ingredient are you throwing in next what dimension of leadership and operations and effectiveness am i going to learn by listening to you so it's really a pleasure to be a part of that i really uh thank you so much and now that's going to cost me another seven dollars and 32 cents yeah i'll take that 732 back thank check you very check much is in the mail check is in the mail so <laughs> You know, Chad, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to engage with you, what's the best way they can do that? Well, our website, which is newly tuned up, is at www.ethinact, short for Ethical Leaders in Action, ethinact.com. And there's con- there are contact buttons there. Also, feel free to give me a call, 651 651- Six four six one five one two. Chad, I got to tell you, I mean, always great when you come and visit. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the next show. And for everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. We've got some really great shows coming up. And don't forget, Chad's going to come back and talk to us about service and finish the series on ethical leadership. But until next time, I'm Chris Sotolero, and I look forward to chatting with everyone real soon. Thank you for joining us. The Ultimate Leadership Podcast is a production of chrissubalero.com. You can interact with us by email at ultimateleadership16 at gmail.com. All rights reserved.